0: three. Ow! Fuck! Sit still. Tercy did not waste any time on sympathy. His brown eyes stayed fixed on the wound he was cleaning. It's worse the more you move around. Well, hurry it up then. Talon gave him an unfriendly look. Tercy did not say anything, but Talon saw him hide a bit of a smile. The man had served with him for too long to be cowed by one of Talon's tempers. And anyway, Nothing compared to Nick's when it came to fighting doctors. On any other day, Talon would have been glad that he could slam his way around the ship and snap at his crew and they wouldn't take him the least bit seriously. He hated blind obedience and the sycophantic behaviors the military demanded of its soldiers. People who saluted and served tended not to last very long on the Aryan. Or they changed their tune pretty quick. Aegis had been one of the latter, old school and gruff, unimpressed with Talon's general refusal to follow etiquette, until a few fights managed to convince the grizzled soldier that Talon was nonetheless entirely capable of commanding a team. Now, the older man often greeted Talon with nothing more than a raised eyebrow. Normally, this all suited Talon just fine, but right now it meant he was not even the most intimidating thing on his own ship, and in this mood, that only pissed him off more. Of course, it also occurred to him that with Aegis worse off in terms of injuries, Talon wasn't the grumpiest, either. He sighed and rubbed at the back of his neck a habit that had entrenched itself since they got their newest armor. It rubbed. Talon hated that. Everything was annoying him right now. You might as well get it over with, Tercy suggested. I'm trying, but you're not working very fast. Not this. Tercy pushed him back on the padded chair, hard, and held him in place while he plucked a piece of metal out of the wound. He didn't even flinch at Talon's yell, dropping the piece of metal onto his tray and leaning back in to scan the wound. Satisfied that there was nothing else there, he looked up at his commander. I mean the part where you get angry about what happened on there. Do I not look angry to you right now? Angry for most people? Sure. Angry for you? Tercy snorted. Not at all. Go fuck yourself. Tercy took a moment to scratch at his jaw, where a reddish-brown stubble was in evidence. There was still grime from the surface on his forehead and in streaks down his neck. When they got back to the ship, he had tended to Aegis at once, and that had been hours ago. He had worked his way through the crew since then, leaving the more minor cases for Kimura, or, in Nix's case, Nyx and a bottle of whiskey. But they'd started the op meeting a few hours before they landed on Emeer, and that meant that Tercy hadn't rested in close to a full day now. The dragon took his role as healer seriously. He would stitch Talon up, yes, but he wouldn't leave until his commander had had the chance to vent about the op as well which meant that Talon, with his mood and his snapping, was only keeping the man from a well-earned shower and some sleep. Fuck. He let his head drop back on the padded headrest and closed his eyes for a second. He hadn't wanted to face into this just yet, but Tersey was right. Letting it fester would do him no good. We're going back to Seneca, he told Tersey. At this, the other man stopped working. He didn't look over to Talon, but his hands paused and his eyebrows went up. I'm going to talk to Soros about this. Talon said. Tersey gave him the sort of laugh that said Talon was crazy. You would, the laugh seemed to say, but he didn't comment on it. He needs to explain to me what keeps happening down there. Tercy said nothing, and Talon narrowed his eyes slightly. The man's silence was unnerving. Of course, Tersey always did this, maintaining a professional quiet that encouraged someone to keep talking. He would have made an excellent therapist better yet, a bartender. Tercy, Talon's first pick for Team Nine, was someone he had never regretted bringing on board. He couldn't remember the man's actual name. It was probably on a piece of paperwork somewhere, but Talon's filing cabinet was a place where forms were appropriately filed and never looked at again. The two men got along better than Talon, a Navy veteran, had expected at first. The relationship between officers and chiefs was famously strained in most branches of the military. Chiefs were usually older than their commissioned counterparts, and more experienced. They found themselves in the unenviable place of trying to convince younger and brasher people, most of whom would not go into combat, of the best way to achieve mission goals and keep their soldiers safe. In the Dragons, this was somewhat better. Officers went into combat as a matter of course. It was expected. Everyone on a Dragon team went into combat. Accordingly, the Chiefs' role was more of a confidant than anything else. They would look after the soldiers making sure that none of them were sliding into a funk. And this was Talon's favorite part, because he meant he didn't have to do it, arguing with the bureaucracy about things like benefits paperwork. Tercy had been coming through the dragon selection when Talon was given command of Team Nine. It was a famously rigorous process to get selected for the months long ordeal. Each recruit was given a battery of tests for combat skills, knowledge, intelligence, and psychological fitness for the unusual rigors of joining a dragon crew. And then, for six months the candidates trained together, undergoing a battery of scenario tests that any dragon commander and their XO and chief could come watch. Selection for a team was immediate, on the whim of any commander. As one of the newer team commanders during Tercy's selection year, and after a particularly drawn-out mission, Talon arrived back late to find most of the sought-after recruits who had already been selected. He didn't mind once he saw the people who were still there. He'd chosen Tercy and Aegis that year, the former for his steady, methodical combat and the latter for his gruff competence. The year after, he'd picked up Nyx, Sphinx, and Kimora and Mars, who everyone always seemed to refer to in the same breath. The two of them had been thick as thieves from day one, apparently having become fast friends in dragon selection. They fought well as a team of two, so Talon had taken both of them. Nyx and Sphinx, meanwhile, had been like day and night. Sphinx held her own counsel, and Nyx never shied away from telling Talon when he was wrong. His team had been built in dribs and drabs after that, letting exceptional soldiers go to other teams and replacing them with people the other dragon commanders by and large saw no use for. Most of the other commanders thought Talon was crazy. That suited him just fine. His results spoke for themselves. He had one of the most decorated teams in dragon history, with the most successful missions of any commander now serving. And then there was Emir, as a glaring hole in that record. Tercy snapped his fingers irreverently in Talon's direction. Your leg's finished. Get talking. Talon had been staring at the far wall, so lost in thought that he hadn't even felt Tercy stitch everything up. He sat back on the chair and rubbed at his nose. What do you think Soros is going to tell you? Tercy began sterilizing his equipment. It's not like he runs the reports himself. He can't be unaware of them, Talon argued. It's Ymir. The place was the topic of toothless debate in the Alliance Parliament every year. It was easy to gain media coverage and polling points by making tearful speeches about how Emir needed to be freed, and introducing some bill with no actual binding policy recommendations. It was also easy to then tell one's constituents that the matter was being considered by the Navy, and never bring it up again. The Navy, meanwhile, had not recommended an attack since their first and only attempt ended in the loss of 10,000 soldiers. The carrier had gone down on approach, a total loss. They had not tried again. Which left intelligence, namely the dragons. There was no way Saurus hadn't considered the same thing. He's afraid of the fallout if we all die. Talon heaved himself up and limped over to the closet. The dragons had access to the latest tech researched in the Alliance labs not just armor, but programs, ship upgrades, and medical advances. They'd had any number of serums and treatments that purported to heal wounds like they'd never been, taking the area from shredded, dirty flesh to scarless skin in just days. Tersey, however, refused to use those. He insisted on cleaning and dressing wounds the old-fashioned way, and allowing a couple of days' worth of healing before he would speed anything along. "'Your body isn't a machine,' he told Talon when the man asked. "'Let it figure out the best way to do things after the shock wears off. Then hurry it up.' It seemed to work, so Talon took his advice. It was just annoying in the short run. Talon yanked a new ship uniform out of the closet and pulled off the old one. "'He isn't wrong to worry.' Tercey was finishing up, packing away his tools. You could stand to worry a bit more. Talon gave him a look. You think I don't care if we all die? No, I wouldn't serve on this team if I thought that, but I think you're losing sight of the odds. Tercy settled back in his chair and began to roll his neck with a wince, easing some unseen knot. I'll fall you into hell if there was a good chance of saving all of Ymir. We all would. Mars and Kimora are getting the fever something bad. It just does no one any good if we all die, not accomplishing anything, not even having had the chance of accomplishing anything. Then we need better intel, Talon said flatly. There's a way. There's always a way. If you're willing to bear at the cost, there's always a way. There was a silence, and Talon knew exactly what Tercy was thinking of. The mission that had come close to getting Talon hauled up in front of a tribunal, and had lost them one of their best crewmates. Two years earlier, on the bridge of a carrier converted to a slaver ship. Talon and a young recruit named Cade Williams had overridden the controls to vent the entire ship, killing the entire leadership of the legendary slaving syndicate and every one of the 7,000 slaves they were carrying. Cade had left Team Nine after that, unable to face making another choice. So, Grave and Talon had been summoned back to Seneca to explain why he had done what he had done. His explanation was simple. Mrs. Shot? and every one of those 7,000 slaves got sold, living in agony and dying not long after, while the slavers continued to prey on the citizens of the outer planets. Take his shot, and those 7,000 died earlier, but no one else ever saw that carrier appear in the sky, and knew they and their children were going to die in chains. He didn't regret what he'd done. He didn't see any other choice. But when Tersey looked up, his expression asked if Talon would be willing to do the same thing again on Emir. And Talon had no answer. He looked away as he pulled on the uniform. What's this about Kimura and Mars? Never seen them so excited for an op before. Tercy took the conversational diversion without comment. They must be losing their patience right along with you. Don't worry. He just makes a nice counterbalance. I don't think the man's ever been excited for anything in his life. He must have been born 60 and grumpy. Talon snorted and blew his breath out in a long sigh. How's he doing? Fine. I believe his exact words were... It'll take a lot more than a few suicidal idiots to do me any damage. He then suggested I would spend my time on the rest of the delicate flowers, or, failing that, just get the fuck out of his face and stop bothering him. Talon laughed. Something unwound in his chest and he leaned back against the wall. He'd needed that. Coiled in the pit of his stomach, there was a low twist of guilt that Aegis had been injured at all. It was no use saying that he hadn't realized the Warlord's people would be loyal enough to try suicide attacks. It didn't make sense, but it had to. Talon had to be able to protect these things, or his team would suffer. Where should I tell the crew we're headed? Tercy hauled himself to his feet, medkit in hand. I told you, we're going to Seneca. Wasn't sure if that was an actual plan, or just the op talking. Any semblance of a good mood vanished. Talon stared down his chief. Boss. It's the warlord of Emir. Intelligence is on it. We're intelligence. Talon ground out. The rest of them had their chance. They've had what? Eight chances? They keep sending us into the districts and it keeps not working. They need to find another way or I'm going to find one myself. I'd prefer to do it with Soros' blessing and his help, but I'll set her for him staying out of my goddamned way. Tercy considered this. He nodded a moment later. He knew when Talon had made up his mind, and his lack of dissent meant that, as with Nick's, he didn't have any new objections. They wouldn't have hesitated to let Talon know if they did. The next time I go to Emir, Talon said quietly. I'm killing the fucking warlord with my bare hands if necessary, because the next time I leave, they're going to be free. I promise you that. This chapter introduces one of the characters who was originally a main focus of the story, Cade. In the first iteration of the story, we first met Talon after all the events of this book, and from Cade's point of view. If I end up putting Dragon's Hope on the podcast, I'll let you all know when we reach the chapter with Talon's original entrance into the story. Though I am now glad I took the plunge, I was actually quite nervous about writing from Talon's perspective. He seemed like the sort of character who might be ruined with any more exposure. After all, nonchalance and suave self-confidence can hide a lot of foibles, and I was afraid I wouldn't be able to bring him to life in 3D and keep him true to what he was. Thankfully, the story requirements were pretty clear. To do this story justice, I needed to show the process of Talon figuring out that the dragons had been deceived. Whatever I was worried about, no matter whether I thought I was up to the task, I had to find a way. Turns out this isn't actually all that uncommon. From my own experience, and from speaking to other authors and reading interviews with them, it seems fairly universal that stories come to you before you have the skill to do them justice. Each story is a new chance to stretch the limits of your competence and to learn what you need to know in order to show the story to its fullest advantage. Talon didn't turn out to be either two-dimensional though, or thankfully, a shitbag. He and his team are incredibly dear to me as characters, and I would never have gotten to meet them, as it were, had I not listened to the requirements of the story. This chapter also brings us back to a seminal moment in Talon's history. He makes a devastating decision, costing the lives of literally thousands of innocent people. Writing those few paragraphs was beyond difficult, showing the type of moral choice that can set well-meaning people apart from one another. Talon did what he believed he had to do, and there are many reasons one could argue that he did the right thing. Cade's reaction, however, is just as moral, and the fact that the event nearly destroys him resonates strongly with me. It's not an uncommon moral quandary for philosophers or storytellers to explore, and for the Mass Effect fans listening, it's similar to what plays out in Mass Effect 2's Arrival mission, Perhaps because I wrote this event before playing that mission, I was deeply dissatisfied with the fact that the mission did not give you the option to struggle with a similar choice, or work through the aftermath emotionally. I'm trying not to give spoilers here, and I do welcome commentary from other people who've played that and listened to this chapter. In any case, the slaver ship and Cade will return in later sections of the story, and Talon and his crew are off to Seneca to meet some of my favorite characters in the series. Until next week.